0: Welcome, listeners, to episode 11 of the Ubered podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale. For those of you just joining me for the first time, I guess I don't know why you'd pick episode 11 to start this podcast, but I was a full-time Uber and Lyft driver in Minneapolis, St. Paul, for four years. I gave more than 8,000 rides in that time period, and I wrote two books on the subject ubered my life as a rideshare driver and the sequel ubered 2 they're both available on amazon in paperback and kindle as i've said when i do this podcast these episodes what i do is i think of a particular theme and then i go through my books and i find all the trips that fit the bill of the theme for example last week was all of the accounts that i had never written about or that were outtakes from the books two weeks ago it was the stoner files it was all the stories that had to do with me smoking dope and driving but alas i noticed something with these themes it's possible for me to miss some stories or there's just some stories they don't quite fit into a theme or I'm like I'm hoarding the story I'm I'm saving it because it's such a good story I don't want to use it but I'm getting to the point now because this is a limited series where I do need to tell these stories or you're just not gonna hear them so what I decided to do for this episode and I'm gonna do either two or three more of these this is the greatest hits These are the best rides, the most memorable trips, the craziest shit, the stuff where when passengers would ask, so what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? This is what came to mind. So without further ado, we are just going to jump right into the stories today. No dilly dallying, no back information. This first story or this first thing that I want to talk about, it's called Blackjack Driving. One thing that boggles readers when they are giving me feedback from the books, is how do you maintain your driver's license? How do you get away with driving like the way that you do, especially with a person in the car? It might surprise some of you to know that I have a spotless driving record. I don't have any moving violations. I don't have any tickets of any kind. I don't have any parking tickets. I haven't gotten one in like 10 years. The only thing that is on my record, the only thing that like counts against me, is when I crashed my 335. Uh, That was my fault because I was driving fast in the snow. So that right now is making my insurance. I have a car, it's a Cadillac STS. It's worth like five or six grand. I pay almost $300 a month on it. That's, I'm sorry, but that's the insurance company telling me, you know, we're betting in a matter of two years, you are going to crash that car. It almost sounds like a challenge to me. Anyway, here is how blackjack driving works. I figured it out within my first like month of driving. So time is a big factor. And it if you're a person that slows down, for a yellow light or even worse your person that sees the crosswalk sign has changed the, the red flashing indicating the light is going to change and you preemptively break to slow down even though it's still a green light there's a special place in hell for you you have no fucking concept of time and the importance of it if you slow down for this shit so stuff like that or driving 55 in a 55 you're not gonna chance 63 or 64 because the speed limit posted is 55, and if I go a mile an hour over, we all die. The importance of time was speaking to me, and it was speaking to me a lot because, well, I wasn't being paid shit for time. I was being paid on on the amount of rides that I could get, or the volume of rides. It was more important than the time aspect. And so I created this math system, and how it works, okay, after like babbling for like a minute and losing track of what I'm talking about. So it's kind of like blackjack, a blackjack professional. Quote unquote or like a blackjack card counter is assigning value to cards and they're using probability to determine whether or not the dealer is going to bust their hand and probability dictates assume the dealer is going to win so carrying that over relating that to cars and the road you assume that certain cars are always a cop that's just the assumption and those car makes generally it's ford or it's Dodge those are pretty much in Minnesota the only two car makes that supply cars to the police here if you see those on the road at all in any capacity do not speed don't do anything wrong and when you're driving be sure that you can see a football field in front of you and a football field behind you if it's clear there's no cars hiding there's nothing on the side of the road it's just clear and open then assume you're good you can drive however the hell you want but if you see any American car on the road Within a football field of you in either direction, and I'm like I know cars really well, so I can spot them, and I know what they are when I see them. Or if you see anything on the side of the road, any kind of a car or anything, just on speed, assume that it's a police officer running a speed trap. I guess it's less of a math system and more of a probability system, but take it from me. After putting 150,000 miles on the road as an Uber and Lyft driver and driving like a goddamn bat out of hell, it works, and it works well. The only thing that's a drawback about it is it can be a little tedious, and if you're going more than 100 miles an hour, it's very hard to process what's a football field ahead of you when you're covering so much ground in a second. Thinking back to it, I was only pulled over three times. One time I came flying off the highway and I went through a yellow light that turned red and there was a state trooper that I didn't see. Didn't even give me a ticket. It gave me a warning. One time my license plate, uh, the front cover had been ripped off because I'd been driving in a blizzard the previous day and I had lost my front plate because you need two plates in Minnesota. And what was the third time? Oh no, I take that back. I was speeding at the airport, um, but I had this passenger in the back who was so rude. She was from France and she had like No concept of how American police work. She was like loudly saying like, can we go now? And I'm looking back like, lady, shut the fuck up. You're going to get us both shot. I think uh, that cop was so amused with how oblivious this woman was, and how rude she was that she felt bad for me and she let me go. But I mean, the airport, like that was just dumb of me to speed at the airport because there's cameras and police everywhere. And it was one of those where like it was like a 15 mile an hour zone and I was doing 30 You know, ooh, big crime, going double the speed limit, 30, we're all going to die. So, but overall, like, I got in, like, no, I should probably knock on wood because I still have a driver's license and I still drive. I got in, like, no trouble. And so Blackjack driving, take it from me, it works. It allowed me to be bold, drive how I want, and collect some great trips. One of them is trip 2913. It's called The Race. It's a sunny Sunday afternoon. It's in, like, September. This story's from Ubered One. And I picked this woman up from Cowboy Jack's Bar in uh, downtown Minneapolis. So this woman, this, like, beautiful, like, late 20s, blonde, thin, good-looking woman gets in the car, and right as she gets in, this cherry-red Porsche Boxster pulls up next to me, and there's this equally good-looking woman sitting in the passenger seat with this dude that's, like, the definition of, like, a fucking douchebag behind the, behind the wheel. And I look over at him and he revs his engine at me. And I go, do you know this guy? And she goes, yeah, my friend and I, that's my friend there. We were just riding around in his car, the two of us. He picked us up off some random corner. And so this dude's racing, like revving his engine at me. And I'm just like, oh, fuck this guy. And I, I put my window down and I yell, hey, you know why you buy a Boxster? Because you can't afford a 911. Because it's true. Anybody who buys a Porsche Boxster, what they really wanted was the 911, but... Just too much money. It's like double the price, so they settled for something less. So that they could still get the Porsche badge. Next time you see somebody in a Porsche box during traffic, make fun of them. Anyway, so I turned back to this woman and I go, I suggest you fasten your seatbelt because this dude, like, definitely wants to race. So the two of us pull up to a red light, and in downtown Minneapolis, you can launch onto Highway 394 via this, like. It's not a highway, but it's not a road. It's this like ambiguous. 40 mile an hour zone that's always crawling with cops and it it's designed like a highway but it's not it's basically it's like it's like a state built speed trap it's meant to confuse people so we are like the light is going to turn green and we're going to launch onto this thing and then onto the highway well you know, fuck it I'm going to just you know what I'm going to employ my blackjack driving as best as I can and hopefully I don't get a ticket so the light turns green and it's burning rubber and the two of us race off and like My car is probably about a 1,000. This is when I had my 535, so probably about a 1,000 pounds heavier at least. And we're just ripping through gears, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80. Well, this dude is a terrible driver. He almost spins his car out and crashes it. But around 75, that's when the light weight of his body kind of starts to beat my power. And he starts to peel ahead. And around 90, somewhere in there, I decided to back off because it's like (laughs) I'm already in for... A hell of an explanation if I get caught. Like I mentioned, when you're going that fast, it is hard to use the blackjack driving because you're covering so much ground in such a little amount of time that like you just can't process if the road is clear in front and behind you. Plus, I mean, there's like MDOT is watching on highway cameras, so they'll dispatch officers if they see someone driving like that for a long period of time anyway. So that was the race. Um, I guess technically he won, but I mean, he almost crashed his car and... I won because I'm not driving a Porsche Boxster I do not recommend that you go out and drive recklessly after hearing this but you know if you're on the road and you know you want to do a little experimenting try it for yourself see if it works however in your state you might have police that are driving foreign cars because I like I know New York City they have Toyotas so in Minnesota it works so well because the police all drive cars where like you know what they're driving Uh, most of them 90% of them have like police SUVs, the Ford uh, the Ford the Ford Explorers and they have like really distinct looking lights. They're you know like these like this is a shade of blue, so like you can spot them coming like a mile away. And they've all got the same lights, so they make it pretty easy to spot them here. Anyway, let's move on to another topic. While we're talking about driving fast, Let's talk about trip 1438, which is called rental car. As I've said, I have a Cadillac STS now. It's my fourth rideshare car. but the first three were all BMWs and I bought them from a local dealership here. So whenever I would have issues with these BMWs and I would get them serviced, sometimes you know they'd be in the shop for like a couple days. At one time I had a um, my car was being serviced for like 10 days. Because you're a contractor as a rideshare driver, if your vehicle is out of operation, that means that you just like you just don't have a job. And as I've said before, you know, it's hard doing this because you're not saving any money. You're just surviving and paying into the next week, putting a roof over your head for seven days. But seven days beyond that, you know, who knows what's going to happen? So I never had any money saved up like when my car would be serviced. That didn't mean that I got to take a vacation. That meant that I had to do something to make some money. The first time that I had uh, my car serviced like for a couple days, like I panicked because it's like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And they gave me a loaner car, a brand new BMW. And it specifically said in the contract that they had me sign, you can't use the car for business. You can't use the car like for Uber or Lyft. You can't give rides in it. If you do and you get into an accident, it's not insured. Well, you know what? Uh, I got to do what I got to do. So I every time I got these rental cars, I would still use them for ride share. And if people ask, like, why doesn't this BMW match the one on the app? I just say, oh, the app is uh, shorting out today. This is my car. Uh, it's the app that's right. You're in the right car. Don't worry. Meanwhile, I would be giving... Oh, God. I probably gave at least 200 rides uh, in rental cars that were not insured. So what was so great about it was... I didn't give a shit about dead miles because it wasn't my car. They never said I had to keep it under a certain amount of miles when they would give me these cars. They just said I couldn't use them for business like this. So the dead miles, thing, you know, shit, I bring these cars back sometimes. It would be a brand new BMW, like a 335 or a 5 Series. I had a 7 Series once, and I'd put like 6, 7, 800 miles on it or more, and I'd bring it back and say, oh, I had a I had a family emergency in South Dakota, so... I had to drive all the way to South Dakota and back in this really nice car. The reality was, like I said, I was taking such a crazy risk. Because if I would have been hit in one of those cars, why well, do not need to spell it out? I mean, I would have been fucked with all capital letters. The last time I ever did it, they gave me a brand new 535. And it was December 29th, 2016. And so I, gave, I, like, I went out that night and I gave rides. And then I went out the next night and I gave rides again somebody asked me, they go, boy, this is a really nice car. How do you afford it? And just, I don't know where this lie came from, but I just, I said, oh, what I do is I go to police auctions and I buy really sketchy cars and I put like a thousand miles on them and then I flip them for slightly above cost and I run a business in the meantime and pocket the difference. I don't know where this lie came from. And after I said it, I, I thought to myself. Jesus Christ, why didn't I think of that two years ago? That's what I should have done. But the next day when I woke up, it was New Year's Eve, and I had a phone call from the dealership, and my car was ready, and they said, no hurry, if you want to keep it over the weekend, you can. And I thought to myself, boy, it'd be sure be nice to run New Year's Eve in this BMW tonight. And then I thought to myself, do I really want to drive a brand new uninsured BMW on New Year's Eve? Yeah, no, that's a fire even I won't play with. So that was the last time I did that, but... I bet there were about a dozen episodes of me getting a rental car and just giving illegal rideshare rides in it. I mean, it It was fun because when you get these cars, they're so nice. And, like, if you're a passenger, you could clearly put together that, like, something is amiss. Like, there's no way that this young driver can afford this $60,000 brand new car just to be giving cheap rides in. But, yeah, I mean, I never got reported. I never got caught. So that was the rental car saga. All right, we're going to do a quick story, and then I'm going to talk about peeing in public. The story is trip 3075. Middle of the day. I'm in downtown Minneapolis. It's rush hour. It's raining. I'm not in a good mood. I'm crossing the 3rd Street Bridge, going to northeast Minneapolis, and I come to a slow after crossing the bridge. And so I'm just kind of looking around, bored in traffic, and I look to my right. And I see there are these two blind people walking down the street. And another blind because they have their seeing eye canes. There's a woman and a man. And the woman is like maybe two steps in front of the man. And so I'm watching them. And the woman is walking right toward a light post. Like she's going to walk right into it. And so right before she steps into it. Because I'm like, I'm thinking like, oh, should I shout? Or like should I beat my horn or something? Because like she's going to fucking walk right into it. And I think, no, that might just confuse her worse. So I'm sitting here and I'm watching. I'm like, oh, God, she's going to hit it. She's going to hit it right before she walks into it. The other blind guy puts his arm out and he stops her like just in the nick of time. so I'm watching this and I go, what is it? Your first day being blind? And both of them stopped. Okay, my windows were up. I had music on fucking both of them stopped dead in their tracks and looked right at me. And it was like I felt the piercing, angry stares from eyes that couldn't see. And I just go whoa and right then the light turns green and traffic starts to move these fuckers watched me drive away it was incredible i like that was one of those things where afterward like maybe a mile away i pulled over and i whipped out my little black book and i quickly wrote it down i titled the story daredevil because like it was inhuman unbelievable but what's even more inhuman and unbelievable is the amount of times that i urinated in public it'll probably come as no surprise to you that I am a germaphobe. I wash my hands like crazy. I always kept hand sanitizer in my car. If I ever touched anyone, I would like immediately sanitize my hands. If I ever like, if I even got a money tip, like a couple dollars and ones or whatever, they say there is so much feces on money that if you ever knew it, you'd never handle money again. It's like almost why I am a big advocate of cryptocurrency. Money is filthy. Everything is filthy. So it should come as no surprise to you. I detest public bathrooms. I will only pee in one. If I absolutely have to, taking a dump, forget it. I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm not going to talk about my bowel movements. So as a driver, I mean, I, I kept bottles of water in my car. I would give them to passengers to get them to tip me. But really what ended up happening, I would say it's probably like one to one. For every bottle of water I gave a passenger, I would drink one myself. And on the one hand, it's great to be hydrated all the time. Your body feels great. On the other hand, you gotta pee all the time. And I'm sure shit not about to go into a public bathroom, let alone a gas station bathroom, five times a day. That sounds like something straight from my worst OCD nightmares. What did I end up doing? Well, as I've said before, I have long been a believer that if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, it does not make a sound. Same is true with peeing in public. As long as nobody sees you do it, as long as you don't do it by a school or a playground or any other place that could get you put on a sex offender registry list, then it's fair game. So what I would do, I would, because, you know, I'm, I'm driving at night, so it's already pretty easy. Park in an alley, lights on, car on in case I got to make a quick getaway. Go around to the back seat. And in my 335, this was easiest. I had these uh, sunscreens in the back. So I could put them up and it was kind of like having really tinted windows. So it would just totally obscure all the back windows. So I would go and lean around the back rear passenger door, open it up and act like I was either like servicing something in the back or like getting something out of the back. Like I would lean into the back and in the crack between the open door and the cabin of my car, I'd whip out my deck and I would piss. If there wasn't an alley nearby, I would just do it in like a random neighborhood. I never, ever once got caught One time somebody was walking their dog when I was like midway through, and I just, oh, it's like the worst feeling in the world when you're midway through peeing and you have to cut yourself off, but I, you know, just quickly forced myself to do it, and then shut the door, and I waved at the person. They had no fucking idea what I was doing, and I drove away. So, okay, say whatever you want. Yeah, I guess it's a little disgusting, and um, I guess if I had been caught doing it, in theory I could have been a sex criminal of some kind, because it's. Well, it's so, I tried to look this up the other night because I was kind of curious. This, it's like, if you're exposing your genitals, that's a sex crime. But peeing in public, I mean, it's it's a crime, is a petty crime, but it's not, like, a sex thing. So, I didn't get caught. I'm sure glad I didn't get caught. I don't do it anymore because, like, I'm not driving around all the time. So like, I don't have to use the bathroom when I'm out and about all the time. But I became a whiz, pun intended, at doing this. And it was something that, like, it did become kind of a defining feature of being a rideshare driver was all these silly times that I just pissed in like random alleys and like in like random neighborhoods really quickly. If I didn't like sometimes if I didn't like uh where I had ended up or if I was mad at the passenger and it was like a rural area. It was late at night, like sometimes I just I had no discretion whatsoever. I just peed in the middle of the street as like a defiant like fuck you. Like I didn't pee on anyone's yard. Or like on their on like their property or anything like that. But you know, I kinda I always kind of imagine, like, you know, that Uber driver seemed kinda bitter and like they look out the window and they just see me like dick in hand waving at them just taking a piss in the street but alas that never happened but what did happen which has nothing to do with peeing in public because i guess i'm done talking about that now was trip 1105 which is called hs distress and the hs stands for high school it's about 10 10 30 on a saturday night and this was like when i had first started like doing youtube so i was working on my youtube shit in my car i was in the suburb of edina where i'm from and i'm waiting for a ride and i get a request on lyft to go to Eden Prairie. This is kind of toward the start of my career. I normally I would have ignored this request because like this just... it All signs point to this being a dead end. But this was when I was new, so I decided to take it. So I've turned on my engine and started driving. And the pin that has been dropped, it appears to be in the middle of the street. It's not in like a specific house. So I drive for about 10 minutes and I'm pulling into this like... Kind of like a gated community area. So Eden Prairie... The suburb of Eden Prairie is known as being kind of like a new money kind of thing versus Edina is known as being like an old money uh, suburb. So, again, I'm in this gated neighborhood, and it's crawling with cops. There's cops, like, everywhere. I passed like, three. And then I drive past one of the mansions in this area... And I say there's, like, a high school party that's getting broken up. And there's this mother screaming bloody murder at her kid. I have all the windows up, and I can hear this woman screaming as I'm driving by. Meanwhile, there's all the other, like, parents are showing up, and, like, kids are getting marched out. And there's, like, I see they've got tickets in their hands. Like, this house party clearly just got broken up. So I pull up to—the pin is maybe, like, five or six houses down. Or it's, like—again, it's in the street, but it's about five or six houses down. I'm waiting— and a cop crawls past, looks at me really weird as he goes by. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, the door opens up, like, the back right passenger door opens. I didn't see anybody coming. And these two young girls, they have, like, their makeup is, like, streamed from tearing. And they just crawl into the back seat. And right as they crawl in, I, I realize what's going on. These girls hailed me at, like, the last second when, like, somebody screamed cops at the party. And they've been hiding outside in a bush. For like like 10 minutes waiting and it's freezing cold out waiting for me to get there they have eluded the police and as they're crawling in a cop drives past again and he looks at me and i just look at him and i say with teeth clenched so like like the cop can't see that my lips are moving i just go girls stay down there's a cop looking right at us so they slither in and they, they stay down and they shut the door and the cop drives past but he doesn't realize that i'm loading up two passengers and so he goes past and i go okay we're clear and I put the car in drive and I slowly pull away and I drive off and I rescued these girls from getting a consumption ticket. Laugh all you want. It was one of those things where it made me feel cool. And I bet those girls would remember me and like what I did for them that night, because without me, they for sure, for sure would have gotten caught. But let's shift gears here. So one of the coolest aspects about being a rideshare driver is all the different professions that you meet. You hear like, you know, you always ask in conversation. So what do you do? And somebody will tell you about something that's like, oh god, I never even thought about somebody who does it. Like I once had a baggage worker for TSA, and he was telling me and it was a young guy too. Telling me about all the shit he finds in people's luggage, like between dildos and other questionable items. Well, he went on to describe the ritual of transporting the body of a fallen military personnel back to the States, which was interesting. I'd like I'd like never even considered what goes into bringing a body home from a combat zone and, like, how TSA has to deal with it and, like, how an officer or, like, a person in the army flies with the body. But another thing he described were the bodies of tiny coffin, or bodies in tiny coffins. And I was like, why would it be a tiny coffin? And he elaborated, because it's a child that died. And I was like, oh, my God. Another guy that I met was a private contractor and most of the contracts he took, the vast majority, all he was doing was guarding and moving large amounts of money through dangerous countries. So he'll, like, travel in a convoy. They'll meet at one end of the country. Like, you know, maybe $50 million in gold bars gets loaded into this, like, bulletproof convoy. And they'll go across, like, through the desert or, like, through the jungles or some shit like that where there's locals firing at them and they're just getting shot at the whole ride. But it's, like, because they're in, like, this bulletproof convoy... not gonna get hurt it's just like really scary but like then he goes on to mention like oh yeah we always buy kidnapping insurance one of my guys got kidnapped in morocco last year another one got kidnapped in the middle east the year before you know typical day at the office maybe we get kidnapped maybe some psycho with an rpg pops out of a sand dune and blows us all to hell you know or maybe it's just a nice quiet ride across the desert as the occasional shot pings the window so you hear tales from all walks of life but the my favorite one that I've ever heard was really early in my uber career it was trip 543 and it's called Arctic Cartographer basically I picked this guy up who it's his job to make maps of the Arctic so he goes and he spends long amounts of time in the fucking Arctic and I had never met anyone in my life who had ever been there and so I was just full of questions like what's it like What's the wildlife like what do you do how is it with socialization like do you go through like do you get like cabin fever And so he described the Arctic as being, quote, hell in winter format, which is like one of my favorite descriptions as a writer. I think I've ever heard anywhere. And he says, at night, you can hear the ice singing. And he goes on to describe it's because like the sheets of ice will like kind of creak against each other. And then he goes on to add, other times you hear howls and noises from animals and you can't even begin to imagine what they could possibly be. So just this this one trip, this guy's description filled me with wonder. I'm so interested after this. A ride like that would make up for a hundred bad ones, even if somebody said or did something disgusting. Just one of these trips where you learn so much and you're thinking about it for so long afterward. This is what made, or one of the aspects that made being a rideshare driver really fun. Unfortunately, these were far and few between. 99% of the time, all you're dealing with is drunk people. And if there's one thing I've come to learn, it's that alcohol... Bastardizes you. It it you're not funnier. You're not cooler. You don't perform better socially. You're not like making a better impression on people like you think you are. You know, it's like they say, like you're never as as sly as you think you are when you're drunk. It's true. Like I I like to drink. I like to drink a lot. I certainly don't drink as much as I used to when I was in college. But boy, I could still sometimes put them away. Doing this, it made me not want to drink. Just watching and seeing. How fucking stupid and out of control people get I would get home I'd sit down and be like oh yeah yeah and I think should I drink a beer and then I think no I don't even want to drink I don't even want to come close to what those baboons were doing I gave 8,000 ish rides somewhere in there It might be high sevens might be I don't know we'll call it 8,000 cuz that's what I say in my intro but in those 8,000 rides or so only once only once did I witness somebody who had been touched by alcohol, and it made them a fucking god. that was trip 3,394. It's called Brilliance from Booze. I pick up this guy in Uptown. It's a Friday night. It's late, and he, like, flounders getting into the car. But very, very shortly after he gets in and we're talking, uh, he tells me he secures loans for cars, like something really boring. And so, like I said, I know cars really well. I know car prices really well. Well, we played a little guessing game of how much did I pay for my car. And on my first guess, I was within like four or five hundred dollars of what he paid, factoring like interest and depreciation, a bunch of other shit. So this guy was just like mesmerized by me. But the way he said it, he goes, get the fuck out of here. How in the world did you perform such a dazzling feat of mental numerical computation? And so, like, I think to myself, like, that's a very well articulated thing to say for somebody who's so drunk he could barely get into the car. I'd never seen anything like this before. So we, as we like, we keep talking, everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is so well articulated. This guy's like dripping in poetry. And so once we arrived, I like, I'm liking this guy more and more by the foot. We get there, I say, Mike, I usually tell people it's been a pleasure and half the time I don't mean it. And the other half of the time, the pleasure was the sheer fact that the passenger wasn't a terrible human being. But this time around, it truly was a pleasure. I think you've restored my faith in alcohol. And then this guy does something, like, straight out of a novel. He taps my clock on my dashboard, and he says in a voice that, like, it's leaking no hint of intoxication, he goes, at the end of the day, enrichment of others, however insignificant or trivial, is all a person can ever really hope to achieve. A very good evening to you, sir. And I glanced at the clock, and I watched it strike midnight right as he departed my car, and I just go, wow. Like... This guy was so cool, was so sly, I didn't think he was human after he got out of the car. Like, there's just no way somebody could be that fucking cool. So, that guy, that guy's the one anomaly where alcohol, you know what, he might be better off drinking. I don't know what he's like sober, but I sure liked him drunk. But, as I said, he was a rarity. Most people, when they were drunk, were just fucking animals. However, sometimes people, they would get in the car, and I would think at first that they were drunk. And then I'd realize they're not drunk. They're on something. Are they on cocaine? Are they on fucking meth? I don't know. So I would play like kind of a a guessing game. Not really, like just walking people through questions, trying to determine what they're intoxicated on. So one of the most bizarre examples I can think of this and this story I was going to include in my scary chronicles because it is like this story is a little unnerving, but mostly I just I just want to talk about it because it was so bizarre And I just feel like I avoided a trap of some kind this night. So this story, this is toward the end of the second book. So I'm jumping way ahead here. 7,288. It's called Femme Fatale. Those of you who don't know what a Femme Fatale is, a noir movie, like old detective movies or like old crime movies from the 40s and 50s, would always feature a vixen, a female character that would entice and lure the male protagonist, you know, it's made in the 40s and it's kind of sexist, down a rabbit hole and then kind of like a black widow spider devour them. So here's the story. It's bar close always when my most interesting rides happen, and I'm skipping the downtown Minneapolis nightmare. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm in northeast Minneapolis, and I'm pulling up to Ground Zero, which is a dominatrix bar, and I'm waiting outside, Bunch of drunk people walk past and like as each drunk person stumbles past I'm thinking, "Oh god, please don't be my passenger." There's a reason I didn't do a pickup in downtown Minneapolis. Well, sure enough, the passenger who gets in is intoxicated on something. It's this woman. She's either a fabulous 50 or she's a chewed up and spit out mid-20s. I can't place her age. She's got straight long black hair and she's wearing like pretty much like dominatrix clothing. She's got a like a leather crop top uh, t- I don't know women's clothes like a lot of cleavage, a lot of stomach showing, very very little to the imagination. Meanwhile, she's got like a tight black leather skirt that like doesn't really cover very much, and six inch leather black heels that like go up to her knees. So straight up, all she's missing is the whip. Well, she gets into the front seat and she looks me right in the eye. She goes, "Hi, Evan. I'm Kathy. Nice to meet you." And she like like holds out her hand for a shake, I'm like like okay. I shake her hand, and we're going to. Way the fuck north in Maple Grove. Like, 20 miles north. And it's a two and a half rate ride. So, like, you know, I'm going to get, like, 60 bucks from this. Which is a pretty good deal. While we're driving. And this woman's mouth is moving at a million miles an hour. Like, she seems like she's high. She's definitely not drunk. She seems like she's high on cocaine. And she's, like, way intense in my face with the questions. And every, like, she's asking me about myself. And, like, I'm I'm not telling her about my Uber background. Like, like I have a copy of of ubered in my car at this point like in case conversation steers in this direction and i think i can sell a book i can whip it out i'm not telling this woman a damn thing especially not that i'm chronicling my uber adventures and i'm like definitely gonna write about her later so she asked like you know what do you do uh i do martial arts like i just talk about that very blandly and then i talk about like going to school but i don't want to say what i major in i'm just keeping topic as like broad as possible and this woman is telling me about herself in a very like her her mo for holding a conversation is just fucking batshit bizarre she asks a question i give her a very like plain boring answer or, like i'll ask her like a very like harmless question and her reaction is just pure inflammatory like rage and then she suddenly calms down and chills out so like numerous times in this car or in this car ride I'm thinking like we're like about to get into an argument over nothing because she suddenly gets really animated and like her voice like becomes really hostile and then she like dials it back and it's like almost like she was kidding but she wasn't kidding. I I don't know. This woman seemed like she was like kind of mentally unstable. Well, midway through the drive, she tells me that she's divorcing her husband who's given her three beautiful children that are her everything. You know, she shows me like pictures of her kids. And then she goes on to include that the reason she's splitting up with her husband is the husband wasn't fucking her. So... She had an affair, and then the husband cheated on her, and then they've just been cheating on each other, and now they hate each other. But I'm taking her to the home where the husband still lives with the kid. Like, the family unit is still intact. It's just the marriage has gone to shit. And meanwhile, she's been hitting on me, like, really aggressively this entire time. So we finally, you know, I kind of can't wait to get this woman out of my car. She's, She's just, she's on something, and she seems just, like, mentally unstable. Well, we get to her house, like this, like McMansion, you know, like all these mansions in the suburb of Maple Grove came about in the last like 15 or 20 years because it was like farmland until within the last few decades. And so the term is McMansion because it's like, you know, 300 grand buys you a mansion. They all look the exact same out there. So we pull up into one of these and she looks me in the eye. She goes, Evan, don't go anywhere until I get inside. And like I look at her, I'm like, Wait, what? She looks at me again very slowly. She goes, do you get what I'm saying? Don't go anywhere until I get inside. And I look at her kind of weird and I'm thinking like, is this woman insinuating she wants me to come in and fuck her? I, this is what it seems like. My God, her family is in, is in this house. Their children are in this house. This woman just met me. I'm the fucking Uber driver. What the hell? And so I'm, like, I'm kind of trying to make her spell it out just so that, you know, I can write about it and be certain about it when I do write about it. Like, this is what she wanted. I can't imagine she wanted anything else. She was insinuating it so hard. And so she looks at me again. This like, dead piercing stare at me. And she goes, do you not get what I'm saying? Wait for me to get inside first. And I, like, I don't say anything. I just look at her puzzled. And she goes, you know what, Evan, been a real fucking pleasure. And she reaches into her purse. She's got like, you know, like a Gucci bag or whatever. Reaches like a fistful of ones out, slaps them in my hand. It's like 15 or 20 bucks. And just looks at me again, like, like, are you this fucking dense? And then she just goes, gets out of the car, slams the door, goes marching inside. And like, I'm waiting, like, just to see what she does. I'm watching her. And she goes like up the steps of like her garage or like, you know, up to into her house, looks back at me, salutes me, salutes me, waits a little bit longer and then goes inside. And I'm just like, I this was so fucking bizarre. I can't even begin to put a finger on this. What was this woman thinking? What like what is the subtext that I missed here? Did I miss something? I don't think I did. So I'm backing out of the driveway and I'm driving away. And as I'm driving away. I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, okay, why would she have wanted her Uber driver to go inside with her? And then I realized, I mentioned I had a martial arts background, and as soon as I mentioned that, she started telling me about what a bastard her husband was. I think she was trying to trick me into that house to have an altercation with the husband so that maybe she could use it in court to get full custody of the kids. I don't know. But whatever the case was, I believe that was a femme fatale trying to set up some kind of a trap for me to walk into. Maybe I have an overactive imagination and I'm just like, all of this is just wordplay that I have invented. But I, I fucking don't think so. I think I'm right here. But while we are on the subject of drugs and intoxic- I mean, I guess not really. That woman might have been on cocaine. While we're on the subject of drugs, taking that little bit here, I've got one final story for you listeners. I don't know. It is not my favorite story ever but it is certainly up there. It is the closest thing that I've ever had in my life to a religious experience. And as you're about to hear, what constitutes as a religious experience for me is a pretty warped concept. Now it was advised by my editor, who's an attorney, that I just lose this story, that I never share it, but it's too good of a story not to share. So I'm going to, I'm gonna. Keep it a little ambiguous, just like I do in the book. In the book, the original draft was like a five-page story, and I cut it down to about one page. So I'm not even going to say when the story took place. It took place at some point over my Uber career, my left career, my ride-share career. It's a rainy day in the summer. I'm in downtown St. Paul. It's about 5, 6, 7 p.m., somewhere around there. And you can get these things if you're in a busy city where – there's drivers all around you, and because the rules are the way the system is set up, you have to be the closest driver to a passenger if someone requests a ride. So if you get into a high-volume area, but there's a lot of drivers, you can get in these weird spots where, because you're surrounded by drivers, you're not going to get any calls. They're going to get them first, and they're going to take them. And as soon as they take them, another driver will slither in and take their place, and you just get filtered out. So I had been sitting in what should have been a high volume, low wait time area, downtown St. Paul, but alas, 45 minutes had gone by and the whole day had been kind of boring and dreary. I had been reading this dense Roman history book all day. I was sick of reading that. I didn't feel like writing. I didn't really feel like doing anything. So I'm just I'm sitting in my car and I'm sitting and I'm sitting. And this day I had forgotten to bring my weed with me. So I didn't have that either. So like I do a little drawing in my car. And then I just kind of kick back and I'm like thinking and I'm like just looking around and I say out loud to myself Oh my god, I am so fucking miserably bored. I wish I had some good drugs right now. And right after I say that I sit up and I'm looking around the cabin of my car and I look down to my floors and on the passenger floor mat I notice there is a very odd looking pebble. And I pick it up and as I pick it up I realize it's too spherically perfect to be natural. It's not a pebble. It's a pill. So what happens next is not too important. Here's just, here's what happened next. I got out of my car with this pill in my hand, and I'm walking down the street with it. And then I tripped and I fell, and the pill went flying in the air. And then it landed in my mouth all the way down to my stomach. And then after that happened, I looked it up online to see what it was and my god, it, it it perfectly answered my prayers for I wish I had some good drugs. I won't say what exactly it was. I will just hint and say it's something very powerful that is killing a lot of people. After ingesting, I read up a little bit on the drug, and it was recommended to take it with food, so I went to Mickey's Dining Car. It's this old, historic little dining car. It's one of the only things that's open 24-7, and I got a burger and fries, and I sat there, and I Enjoyed myself and about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes into it, sitting there, suddenly, oh my God, suddenly I felt so fucking good. It was ridiculous. So I left and just, oh my, I got so lit this day. I spent, I turned off my apps. I spent about an hour, hour and a half walking around downtown St. Paul in the rain. I got in my car. I drove it up to Cathedral Hill. I just stood there in the rain and looked out over the whole city of St. Paul. And oh my God, it just... So lit. Mind on fire. Felt so amazing. And like, you know, I'm also kind of thinking to myself like, my God, how is this shit legal and marijuana isn't? Like this, I can see why this is killing people. This is intense as fuck. Well, some more time elapsed. I won't really detail how much, but eventually, yeah, I started giving rides. And, um... Well, I made a big 100-mile circle. I ended up back in downtown St. Paul later that night. And so somebody offered me a cigarette somewhere along the line. And I don't smoke cigarettes. I smoke spliffs, but not, not cigarettes on their own. I just don't like them. But this time I took them up on it. So as I sat there sucking down the cigarette, just thinking about all that had transpired, the fact that I asked, and then moments later, seemingly out of thin air, I received. it. It just blew my mind and reinforced the idea that maybe, just maybe, all this stuff from day one was meant to be. I mean, that was kind of what I thought after the crash when, to recap, on my one-year anniversary, down to the minute of giving my very first rideshare ride, my car was totaled when another Uber driver blew a red light and hit me, down to the exact minute exactly a year later. That made me think, you know, me... Really, maybe Destiny is real. Maybe I was meant to go and embark on this journey. But when shit like this would happen, it really reinforced that. Maybe I'm just smoking too much dope. Maybe all of it's just a big, crazy coincidence. But come on. Leave this in the comments if you want. When was the last time you asked for something highly specific and then out of thin air it just appeared? But with this amazing coincidence or whatever you want to call it, listeners, we are going to cap off. This has been Greatest Hits, Volume 1. I'm Evan Kale and I have three books out. Ubered My Life as a Rideshare Driver, Ubered 2 and Wolf in the Jungle, all available on Amazon. And if you live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, all my books are at the Hennepin County Library. Finally, listeners, two more things. One, if you have the time, please leave a review on itunes or stitcher or wherever it is you're listening to this podcast it would mean a lot to me and finally subscribe to this podcast and follow me on social media i'm at evan kale or on twitter i'm at uber books or on instagram i'm at evan kale or at Ubered podcast i'm taking questions for the final episode you can use the hashtag Ubered podcast or you can direct message me and with that listeners you have been ubered I'm Evan Kerr, signing off.